excited to bring this message today. Uh, it carries a lot of weight to it, and it's, uh, it's one of those uh, messages that um, really causes you to process and think, and not that any message doesn't do that. Hopefully, it does on some level, um, but this is one of those ones that you might walk away, and it might be uh, one of those ones you have to grapple with for a while, and so looking forward to uh, see how God can use it. He's already used it in my life, hopefully in your life too. And um, it was a fun uh, Friday for us uh, at our home. Uh, my wife was voted uh, fan favorite in the Sassy magazine, which was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Um, it was great uh, to follow that. I think my thumb was worn out going between uh, her and another candidate. Just, it was just, it's amazing what happens to you uh, in those moments. And one of the reasons it was fun, because I get stage time all the time. Uh, and my wife, who deserves it way more than I do, uh, and who would, wouldn't want it, um, has a fun opportunity uh, for her uh, this coming week. So it was, it was fun. Uh, and it was fun watching. It really was for me. It was like a championship boxing match. It was like, it was like holy cow, it's swinging back and forth here. And, um, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, doesn't have a whole bunch of value, but it does for me. That was my wife, and uh, it was fun to see her uh, shine in a moment. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. And thanks for those of you who um, voted and uh, who tagged and did whatever you did, um, texted or whatever. Uh, if you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, just ask somebody. Uh, they'll know what they're talking about. Um, today we address a card uh, that's a big one. Uh, it's, it's, it's the unthinkable one. It, it might, even today... Uh, you might say, I can't do that. Like, I, I, I tried that, and I'm not doing that anymore. Or they don't deserve that. Or, or uh, um, maybe that, that's for someone else. Like, that's a great book. It's a great message. Uh, I'll come back next week, and then we'll talk. But the reality is this, is, is, is if we took this concept and, and this reality of, of love, the unthinkable kind of love, and we addressed it in our marriages and in our families to our children, uh, and, and children did to their parents, and, and husbands did to their wives, and wives did their husbands. Uh, if we really just said, Lord, Holy Spirit, I'm going to be open today in a way I haven't been in a while, and I'm going to ask you to, to go to those parts of my heart that are unreserved, like, like uh, I don't go there often, and I'm going to ask you to, to open that part up. I invite you today to ask the Holy Spirit who lives in you, and, uh, and I'm going to ask you to ask him, to reveal places in your heart where this message needs to be a reality of your life, not next week, but today. And, and I'm convinced that um, if you do that, then you're walking in obedience. This is one of those messages where concepts of grace, the unthinkable, um, where it doesn't compute, but where um, it, it, it's an obedient act. Let me give you an example. In my early days of grace on Clinton Street, uh, there was this uh, sweet lady who began attending. She would sit in the back of the church, and she was probably in her 60s or 70s then. Uh, and, and so she would come. She came first. She was, lived in Michigan, and so she would travel across, across the border just, just north and, 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 and come here. And then her husband started coming. So I began to get to know her in the early days, and she would... Uh, uh, from time to time, she would uh, send me an email or she would talk to me, and I began to hear her story. It was a sad story. It was one where her marriage wasn't healthy. It was one where her marriage was, uh, and quite frankly, she was doing everything she could but wasn't getting anything from it. But she remained faithful to God. 
And so after a, a, a months and, and some years, we began to engage in dialogue. And I began praying for her and her marriage. And then there was a portion in time where her husband began to come. And it appeared that he was growing in the Lord. And, and, and it looked like great news. This marriage is going to take off. And in reality, it didn't. And as soon as he came to find out after some time spent with her in counseling that it was, it was a horrible situation where she was basically unloved. And he wasn't loving her in the way that God had called her to. And in fact, it wasn't very pretty. I'll leave it there. Progress downward from there. There came a point where she was ready to go to the courthouse. And it was on the day that she was signing the papers for to finalize this marriage, to dissolve this marriage, to divorce this marriage. And I had been praying all along in this marriage for this couple and for her specifically. I knew her better. And as she was driving to the courthouse to finalize this marriage, the Spirit of the Lord spoke in her heart that she should tear up these papers. And before she did that, she wanted to come and ask me what I thought. And so she came in and I, said, I told her as she sat in my office, I said, I always listen to God. Well, let's put it this way. I, I hope to always listen to God. And when God speaks, my desire is to listen to him. And I said, it, it, it's obvious that you don't have peace in doing this. And if there's not peace, then you need to do what God wants you to do. So she followed through. She extended unusual grace to her husband. She did the unthinkable. Like, seriously, if you knew all the details, you don't need to know them. Your mind could go and, and draw up the worst case scenario. That was it. She... she she did the unthinkable, and she threw away these papers and extended love and grace to this husband who hadn't changed at all by any stretch of the imagination. Now, in that moment of time, when you look at that situation, there's this innate sense in us as Christ followers, and even as Americans sometimes, that we think if we do something good, like even in the eyes of God, like, God, if I extend grace to someone, then you'll reward that. Like, like God, you see me, right? Like, I did that for her. Like, come on, God, that's worth, like, something, isn't it? Or I did that for him. Like, that's worth something, isn't it? Or I, I did that for that person. Like, God, you saw this, right? And so, and, and on some level, we, like, are expecting, like, it'll get better because of that. Like, if we extend grace and love like you want us to, then that should make this relationship better. It should, shouldn't it, God? See, here's the problem with that kind of thinking. The minute you and I, and we have, we're all guilty. I'm as guilty as you are of that. The minute we begin to think that because we give love, because we do something, because we give grace, that if we do that, then it's got to make it better. So if we give that grace with the intention or thought of that somehow, because I'm being obedient even, that it will make this situation better, then and when it comes to grace, then it really isn't grace. Because there's still a contingency to it. I'm doing it because I know you'll reward it. And so this lady gave it. And, and for a little bit, her husband became, came to church with her. And progressively, the relationship spiraled away. She moved away. And from time to time, she would come back to this community. And she would sit in my office. And these were her words, short and sweet. Pastor Jim. I'm doing what God has called me to do. I'm obedient, loving my husband, and I'm still not getting anything back from him. But she said these words that I'll never forget, short and sweet. But I'm going to continue to be obedient and love my husband and extend him grace, even if I get nothing in return. Now, that doesn't compute with us, does it? Like, 
Like, wait a minute. So if that's the case, then why give grace? Why should I give it if I'm not getting anything back? Today, we're going to see a very similar story of a person who just listened to God, extended the unthinkable kind of love through the avenue of grace, and found himself in probably the worst-case scenario possible. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Hosea, the book of Hosea. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up, or ushers will put one in your hand. And I want you to turn to Hosea chapter 1, Hosea chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Hosea chapter 1, it definitely isn't where you probably had your devotions the last couple of years, but it's a great book on marriage. In fact, I think it's one of the best because it shows the unthinkable kind of love. Turn to Hosea chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 to 3. And when you find that, stand with me and we'll read it together. Hosea chapter 1. This is the kind of card that our foundation, our our families need need built upon, one in which we do the unthinkable. We extend grace through the avenue of unconditional love. Let's read Hosea chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 together. Ready, read. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. You may have a seat. Pick up in this case scenario, God calls Hosea to go marry a promiscuous woman. I love that word. I, when I study words, I always try to break them down. But if you break this word down, this is Jim's definition of promiscuous. It's promise skewed. Um, the promise was skewed. It, what, there was a promise that was giving, and it, somehow they didn't follow through. So promiscuous has the idea of, I made a promise, but I skewed it. I didn't do the promise or follow through with the promise. So in this case, a promiscuous woman who had a promise to, in this case, uh, to God that remained pure, didn't. The promise was skewed, and in the context of marriage, it's adultery. So God calls to him and says, I want you to marry a promiscuous woman. Now, as a father of children who uh, have two adult children, Hannah is uh, 21 and Josh is 23, I don't see myself going to my, 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 my daughter Hannah and my son Josh and saying, by the way, I want you to marry a promiscuous woman and I want you to marry a promiscuous man. It's not like that's the kind of advice a dad would give to his kids, is it? I mean, just especially someone who's actively promiscuous. But God comes to Hosea and says, I want you to marry a promiscuous woman named Gomer. There's a whole part of me wants you to stop and say, wait a minute, God. What are you up to here? Like, why would you ask a man of God who is a prophet of God, who, who commonly went before his people and, and, and regularly heard from God, and as he heard from God, the Lord would speak to him, then he'd stand in front of the people and say, basically, thus saith the Lord, this is what we should do. So one day he woke up, and he was hearing from God, and God came to him and he says, thus saith the Lord, I want you to go marry this woman named Gomer who is promiscuous, who's sleeping around, who in our terminology would be a hooker on the streets. I want you to go and hook up with a hooker. Like, I mean, on some level, I I bet if he was any kind of man, and he was the kind of man, that he'd probably pull away and say, okay, God, I need to hear you say that again. 
So right at the beginning of this book, it's like, where's this one going to go? Like, how's this going to end up? Hosea is commanded to marry. See, grace doesn't read the resume. Let me, let me try to help you understand that for a second. If you've ever been on a dating site, by the way, I know some people who've met on some really cool dating sites, Christian Mingle and, and other Christian sites. And by the way, they're not ungodly. It's just a place to meet somebody. And it's almost like we're scared to say, yeah, we met on a dating site. Well, I met it, uh, my d- wife at Grace College. Imagine that. I mean, it, 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 there's places you can meet. And so we, we put these descriptions of ourselves. Like, and so you read, you look at a picture, and so you don't put your worst picture, and you don't, like, put your laundry list. Hey, hey, this is, these are the sins I've committed. Hey, come join me. Like, like how many of you would say, oh, I want to go out with him? Like, just read through that. Or I want to go out with her. Like, we, we draw the best picture of ourselves. We show our qualities, our best. And in this case, Hosea has to marry Gomer, who resume was, job description was, she was a woman of the streets. And so... He was a man, but he was an obedient man, and so he follows through with this. I personally believe, this is my opinion, that um, Hosea knew who Gomer was because she was a woman of the streets. And Hosea had a way to move people with his words because he heard from God, and now he's asked to marry this woman. So let's put context here. Like, so... Someone that committed adultery during these times, during Old Testament times, how did people in those communities treat them? Just to give you a little more context. In Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10, it says that if a person was found in adultery, if a man and a woman were found in adultery, the adulterer and the adulteress, they drug them to the streets. This is what they did in Leviticus. They'll bring them to the center of the street. And so they say, she committed adultery. He committed adultery. Everyone grab a stone. And so people will grab rocks. They run them to the middle of the street and they would stone them to death. And so now God is coming to his man, the man of God during the day. And he's saying, I want you to marry a woman who's an adulteress. We also know from Deuteronomy chapter 22, another cultural custom of the day in verses 20 to 21, that if a woman or man was caught in, in a, 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 an immorality, immoral relationship and was, was, was promiscuous, it wasn't married, they would also bring this person out and they would put him to death. And now God is saying, I don't want you to put her to death. I want you to marry her. So what is going on, God? Like, so in the middle of all this is happening, It's a striking example of unconditional, unthinkable kind of love. Hosea is about to love a woman that God calls him to love. By the way, can you imagine the wedding? Like, I mean, like, hey, this is the man of God. He would come and speak. So the people knew him. Like, he would come out and he'd say, thus saith the Lord. And he would give a report and the people would hear. And then the the prophet spoke and then people would say, whoa, we better listen to him because he's listening to God. And so one day he comes out and he says, hey, this is what I heard from the Lord. I'm getting married. And they're probably excited because they grew to love this prophet because he was spokesman for God. And someone probably in the background said, hey, by the way, just, just tell us who you're marrying. And, well, I heard from the Lord last night, and I'm marrying Gomer. Now, pause for a second imagine that conversation. Did he say Gomer? Isn't she like, like, wasn't she on the corner last night? Someone else right? Did you say Gomer? Yeah, I said Gomer. Did you really hear from God? Yeah, I heard from God. In fact, I'm having a marriage. 
uh, marriages uh, next Saturday. You're all invited to it. Can you imagine that ceremony? Like, as they're standing there and then potentially even men that she had slept with before, all her former lovers, and there's this picture of this messy, just this, I mean, just, you talk about the picture of sin at its finest, all gathered together, and he says, I love you for the rest of my life. I will be with you. And how many people out in that crowd were thinking, this isn't going to work. There's just no way. Like, in fact, how many phone calls or text messages or Facebook messages did he receive that week? Say, dude, what are you thinking? Yet, he heard from God. And yet, that's what God called him to. And when you hear from God, you just walk in obedience regardless, even though you don't know how the outcome's going to be. You see, the minute we think, I'm doing this because out of obedience, so I get something from God, then it's really not grace. I wish I could have seen uh, that wedding because it's an incredible picture of Jesus doing the same thing for us, isn't it? Like, (laughs) really, think about the love feast in heaven. Why in the world would God love us? Come on, seriously, like, are we deserving of a perfect God in every way to send his son on the cross to die for us? People who sin regularly, willfully against him and will when we leave today, yet he loves us enough to have this visual metaphor of a marriage in heaven between a perfect God and a sinful bride. You see, since God is satisfied with his son's full payment for sin, we We're on the cross with Christ because of our sins. Our sins were taken there, and God is satisfied with us. So Hosea was willing to take the baggage of Gomer and marry her. Make no mistakes, they would have difficult days. And so it happens right away. So they get married, they have kids. Look at verse 4 and 5. It said, so the first kid came, and she conceived, and she bore a son in verse 3. And it says in verse 4, then the Lord said to Hosea, by the way, this is your son. Like, you know, you've heard me say our, our names are very important. Joshua means God is my salvation. And so I've been praying that over my son. May he be a, a messenger of salvation. So he gets a word from the Lord, and the Lord said to Hosea, Now, here's your son. Go call him Jezreel. That doesn't sound so bad. Um, and, but because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. So... He has this son, and literally it means God's going to scatter you. And literally it means your son's name means God's judgment is coming on you. Now, thanks a lot, God, huh? So now he marries an adulterous woman. And his first son, like you would think like it'd be like, hey, word from the Lord. So God, I married this woman. It's going to be good because you're going to give me some great kid because I did this for you. You would think like, hey, this is a word from the Lord. Your son is going to be called mighty warrior. No, your son is going to be named Jezreel, which means God's judgment is coming upon you. God, like, don't you remember I was obedient, God? Like, shouldn't I get something for this? Like, shouldn't this son, like, change the world? So then he he gives birth, they give birth to a son. And then in verse 6, it says this, Gomer conceived again and secretly Hosea was thinking, this is going to be the child that's going to change the world. It has to be. I mean, I married this woman. And so Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. 
and my daughter Hannah, woman of grace. And we've been praying that she'd be grace to the world. But then he gives birth. It says, then the Lord said to Hosea, call her lo Ruhama, which means not loved. <laughs> for, I will no long, for I no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, not you, not Israel. And I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horsemen and horse and horsemen, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them. Like, at what point were you thinking, like, if you're, you're, if you're Hosea, like, come on. So he has a daughter who he loves, whose name means, and by the way, Hebrew means a lot. I will no longer love you. So we got judgment, son. Now we got loveless daughter. And God, you told me to marry her? And this is what I get? You see, grace doesn't make your situation all perfect again. But somehow we think it should. Like, we think that obedience means that everything's going to be better or good. Or if we give grace, then it's going to turn out different than what it is. See, there's no guarantee or fringe benefits for you or me when you give grace. In fact, it might just be the opposite. But listen, God always honors obedience. You see, one day you and I will stand before Jesus, and he'll ask us, were you obedient? And we could say yes, and he'll say, well done, thy faithful servant. Things begin to unravel, and if you jump into the text, I believe Gomer began to wonder here and went back to her whole ways. And Hosea was left at home with the two judgment babies and the unloved and the judgment son. And instead of working it out, they were human beings, by the way. Hosea poured himself probably into his role as a prophet and Gomer into her old profession of being a hooker, a woman of the streets. So, look what happens next in verse 8. After she had weaned lo Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. God, maybe the third one's the charm, please. Then the Lord said, call him lo Amni, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Like, come on, we mean you're not my God. And it's a reference to Israel, and it's also a reference to this marriage. Like, what do you mean? You told me, I heard from you. Marry the adulterous woman, the woman who's promiscuous. God, come on. You see, sometimes we read this and we think he said, oh, praise God. He was a human being, and I'm sure he wrestled with these realities. He's being obedient, and he was obedient, and now he has a son who's called God's judgment is coming on you, a daughter whose name means I will no longer love you, another son that says, by the way, you're not my people. You talk about hardship in a marriage. You talk about something that would break the back of a camel. So what happens? It was too much for her. So she spent the nights in arms of other men. And I wonder, I just wonder, how many people in the streets would see him in the cafe with his kids as he walked them and he played with them and he cared for them and he tried to be the man of God that he was supposed to be and and he was by himself being a single dad. And I often wonder if that's how it played out and and how many people would see him across in the cafe as he's he's having a a, a mocha with his daughter. And I wonder how many said, I told you, didn't I? Tony shouldn't have married her. 
And I wonder how often we do that too to people. Like somehow we feel justified by saying, you should have listened to me instead of to God. You see, the end product isn't resolved here yet. And God is still working this out. You see, it's in these kind of moments we do things that only God can enable us to do. We continue to be a loving husband to an adulterous, promiscuous, rebellious son, a wayward child. Something happens in a person's heart when the unthinkable plays out, too. Grace turns the unthinkable into thinkable. So look what happens next. So they're split up, and she's in the arms of other men. And this is in chapter 2. And just look at a few verses here. Verse 2, rebuke your mother. Rebuke her, they say, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. And it's a dual reference here to Israel and to Gomer and Hosea. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. And then it says in verse 5, it says, their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace like... And she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool, my linen, my olive oil, my drink. Therefore, I will block her path from the thorn bushes. I will wall her in so she cannot find her way. And it's, it said it got so bad for Gomer, she would chase after her other lovers but not catch them. Even they didn't want anything to do with her. She will look for them but not find them. And then she will say, I will go back to my husband. As at first for them, for then I... I was better off than now. And so there's this picture of her just trying to find her way, like trying to chase down other lovers, trying to find someone that would love her. And yet there's this picture of, un, of just chaos and just messiness. And at this point, bitterness can surface because we could say to God, God, I've been faithful. God, I've been obedient. God, why is this happening to me, Lord? They don't deserve that. I deserve so much more. And when in reality, what do we really deserve from God? Love never fails. It doesn't keep records of wrongs. It's easy to say that when things are good, but (laughs) how about when things aren't so good? So what will Hosea do with this? Will he remain bitter and curse God? And will he die a bitter old man? Will he hope for better days? You see, God still remains God. Will Hosea still be faithful to his God? Maybe the best gauge of our depth depth in the walk with the Lord, maybe the best indicator of whether or not we truly love Jesus and follow hard after him is the depth and awareness of how much grace we're willing to give, even if we don't get anything back from it. Here's what I know about grace. Christians get nervous about it. Like, like, we start talking about grace, like, we get nervous because we want to place rules on grace. Like, in, in all seriousness, like, well, that church... Can you believe that they extended grace to them? And like, I know what that person's doing. Like, I, like, I, I know what, what they're up to. And the, like, I heard they're going to church there. Like, can you believe that? And I think, oh, but for the love of Christ, where would any of us be? See, grace makes us nervous because somehow we want to have rules. You can give grace, like, if this happens. And you're allowed to extend grace if they do this. Like, and somehow we, we, we work them towards an earning system. If they get farther enough along, if our husbands move farther enough, our hu- wives move farther enough, our moms and dads move farther enough, if, the, if somehow people begin doing good, then we'll give that unthinkable grace. And that we place rules. The minute you place rules on grace, it's not grace anymore. For some reason, 
our world is uneasy with grace. And we have this insatiate desire to judge people, too. Something inside of us begins to rear its ugly head when we're asked to give grace or extend grace or we see grace given to someone. So Hosea has something to deal with here. He has some tough stuff. What will he do with this? So God comes back to him and asks him the unthinkable. By the way, I want you to go back. Now listen, I want you to go back. I want you to go back. And I want you, once again, to bring her back home. Even though she's been sleeping with other men. I want you to go back. Go grab her from the arms of another man. I want you to love her. I want you to do that. Boy, how many of us, chapter and verse. Whoa, wait a minute, chapter and verse. Here it is. This is when you do. This is when, wait a minute, wait a minute. When God said, I want you to go back and love her unconditionally. You see, when we hear from God, we should listen to him. So what's he do? Well, look at chapter 2. He, he, he hears from God. He doesn't just throw in the towel. He fights for his wife. Look at chapter 2 and verse 14. So it says that, Hosea, therefore I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. How many men would be willing to do that? Verse 15. There I will give her back her vineyards. And I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. Verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness. And I and you will acknowledge the Lord. Meanwhile, the Old Testament custom says, stoner, stoner, come on. And people are knocking at his door and they get big grins on their face. And God is saying, I want you to go back and I want you to love her. I want you to lure her back and I want you just to give her unconditional love because I want you to do that. That's the obedient thing to do. You see, when I think about the context of the whole Bible, I'd like to bring in other passages. And so... Just, just listen to this. Like, here's a good passage to read in times like that. We, you know, we like reading these passages when things are good. But imagine in the context that I'm speaking from, hearing this from the Lord. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily dang- angered. It keeps zero or no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. And then Paul said this, and he clarifies all these with the word always. He said, it always protects. It always protects. Even if she's sleeping with another man, it always protects. It always trusts. Even though she's given me no reason to trust, Hosea says, it always hopes. It turns to the door of acorn to the door of a, it always hopes. It always perseveres. It always perseveres, even though it doesn't seem like it should. And then Paul said this, and love never fails. <laughs> That's easy saying, isn't it? Like, 
When things are really good, like, that's a piece of cake. But what if, just what if, the unthinkable happened in a relationship that you were in and God called you to love that person? Would you be obedient? Would you always protect, always trust? Peter tried to say it this way. Just, just listen to this. These are Peter's words. These come from Scripture in First Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Just verse 7 and 8. Just listen to this. Peter tried to describe this love too. He said this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. And then he says this, Above all, like I love how he says this, not just do this, above all, above all, way above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. It doesn't say love covers up a multitude of sins. It says love covers over a multitude of sins. It doesn't say love covers it up. It doesn't mean you don't address it, you hide it and don't deal with it. It means you deal with it, but you cover over it. You cover over it a multitude of sins. And by the way, it doesn't say every sin. It says a multitude of sins. So what does that mean in this context? I mean, Hosea, like, you're supposed to love her. How, how, do, I, how do I always trust? How do I always protect? How do I always hope? How do I cover over that kind of sin, God? You got to be kidding me. Let, me. let me try to describe it the best as I know how today. If you walked into the basement of our house, it's a finished basement, and there's a large room that has a, a, a TV in it that we like t- to watch TV. You know, we watch TV too, by the way. And it's great, let's say. And, um, and downstairs in this room, we also have a play school hoops that we gave to Josh when he was, let's see, he was three, I think, because the first one I gave him on Christmas Day was a cardboard backboard, and we were playing hoops, and I broke the rim on Christmas Day, dunking over him. I mean, just... Serious, that's a true story. Duct taped it on Christmas Day. <laughs> but in any case, we have this play school hoop in our, our house that, you know, you put a bunch of browns in the basement, there's going to be a ball and there's going to be bumping. And, and so we played a lot of hoops through the year. And so on the wall behind this hoop, um, there are marks on the wall where someone got chucked into the wall trying to get dunked over. And in one case... Uh, a couple were playing. A couple guys were playing one day, and one of them took his butt and knocked into the drywall and just busted the drywall right in. I mean, it's just there it is. You, you probably never had that happen in your house, have you? So, as a carpenter, um, I, I would fix this. Now, I much prefer. I'm a finished carpenter. I love finished carpentry, but when it comes to finishing drywall, you want to get the professionals in. So. I told Ann I'd fix this up. You know, I would cover over it. So went in there and, you know, got some spackling and taped it up and, you know, put a skim coat on there. And then I took the brush and I got the paint and I got some paint on it and, and I covered over it, covered over it. I didn't, I couldn't cover it up, but I, I could cover over it. And truth be known, if you walked into our basement, unless you were Max Beck, you wouldn't know where it's at. So the next time you come to the basement, I know you'll be looking. But I covered over it because it was still there. And if you look close enough, you'll find it. Now, here's what else you do when you build a new home. And the Hosopolis will probably know this is true. And hopefully they'll experience a, a nice paint job. But often you walk into a home, and after it's just about finished, my background was you'd get out a big spotlight. 
And as you walk in to see how the drywall was finished, you would go into a room and you would turn the lights off and then you turn on a spotlight and you would walk along the sides of the wall. And if you took a light to the side of a wall and you looked at it, you could see every imperfection that's there. We wanted to build a quality home. We even shimmed our studs so that the walls were straight so that when you put chair rail on it, it didn't look like this. Any case, you walk in and you take a light to it. And if you take a light and you observe, you know what you do? You begin to see the imperfections. You know what you do? You take some blue tape and you take tape and you stick it on the wall. There's a spot. There's a nail. That needs feathered. Hey, there's a spot. And so when you first walked into the room, it looked, wow, look at that. And if you looked at my covering up from a distance, it would look really good. But the second you begin to examine, the second you begin to calculate and look for all the wrongs, and, and you, find, you will find them. And so literally, you could walk into a room from a distance before you went in for the inspector gadget. You could see blue tape everywhere afterwards. Have you ever walked into a finished room after, before the finished turnkey? You walk in, there's blue tape everywhere. Like, here's spot, here's spot, here's spot, here's spot. And always says, Jim, quit looking, quit looking, quit looking. I just can't. I just walk in. It's like, that's the carpenter in me. So that's what we do. We, if we don't stand grace, we walk in and we remember. We keep records of all the wrongs. Remember when you did that? <laughs> hey, in case you forgot, let me get a piece of tape out. There it is. Remember when you said this? Remember when you didn't show up? Remember, remember? And so we carry this, this, this light, we carry this blue tape, and we walk, and, and the Word of God says, love covers over. Love gets out the brush and covers over and says, we're beyond that. And so Jose has a choice to make. Will he cover over? Or will he count the wrongs? Put yourself in his shoes for a second. As best as we know, he was a faithful man to God. As best as we know from Scripture and history, he remained obedient to God. But grace has no end to its love. So what's he do? Well, let's turn back. Let's just take a look and see how he responds to this. Look, look, look at chapter 3. And so the Lord said to him, verse Chapter 3 said, go show your love to your wife again. I love the word again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites or loves us. (laughs) Though they turn to other gods and love sacred raisin cakes. Verse 2 says this. So what did Hosea do with that? No, Lord, I'm not doing that. Come on. She went back to her old ways. How can I love an adulterous woman again? How can I love a sinful woman? Because God called you to do that. You see, here's where it gets all messy. Like some of us sitting there saying, yeah, but you don't know my situation. Listen to me, I don't know your situation, but God comes to you and says, love her and him again. You better do it. So verse 3, 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me, baby. Jim Brown paraphrase. Many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. You see, he didn't cover up her sins. He covered over her sins. He, 
He didn't say there weren't issues there. He addressed it, and he said, you know what? I want you to walk away from this path of sin, but I want you to know I'm going to love you, and I'm going to not keep this against you, and I'm going to love you the same way that I want you to love me. I'm going to cover over this. You see, that's difficult, isn't it? Like, come on, Pastor Jim, you got to be kidding me. I'm just reading God's word. So, he has a choice to make. Will he buy her back? By the way, can you picture the auction block that Thursday night? Like, in would come the people and the livestock, and, and at the back of this group was Gomer. By the way, what a name of a woman, anyhow. I just think of Gomer Powell every time I think of that. Just, sorry. Well, golly. I got to stop here. I just ruined this story. I know I did. But at the back of this auction block is this woman whose posture was probably like this. She was aware of her, her sin. So they probably shoved her in like a piece of cattle and said, just bring out the next piece of cattle. This is Gomer. Anybody want to bid on Gomer? I just get this picture. Like, She's standing and her posture's like this and in the back of the crowd is this man <laughs> covering over. I'll bid on her. Five. Anybody got five? Ten. Anybody got ten? Twenty. And after a while, she's like, who keeps bidding for me? <laughs> like, I know how miserable I am. And I just get this picture that finally she just kind of looks up and there stands this man who was her husband at the back of this crowd, probably kids in tow, all three of them. I want you back. I love you. I will cover over. And I will love you the rest of my life. You see, we don't know what to do with stuff like that, do we? Like, right now, it's like, like what, do you, what do you mean? So I picture her standing and the auctioneer saying, sold. She walks her way up, and he walks over to her, and the kid's in tow, and he looks at this woman and says, now, I want you to know, I'm, I'm going to ask you not, I'm not going to cover up your sin, but I'm going to ask you, please, for the cause of Christ, love me and love Jesus, and I'll do the same for you. I got to believe that the camel ride home was pretty awesome. Just picture, he's on the front, she's on the back holding on. Kids are blowing bubbles behind him. <laughs> Just beautiful picture of grace. Her husband loved her at her very worst. Isn't that what Jesus does for us every single day of our lives? Can you picture them, by the way, 20 years Later, walking on the beach, watching their grandchildren jumping in the waves, laughing, playing, and running. And Hosea looks at his wife, who, and he says, you know what, baby? I am so glad, so glad God gave us another chance. Can you picture 40 years later, sipping coffee in the morning, reflecting back and growing old together. 
And I wonder, I just wonder, how many people in that day, when they saw them back together, whispered, that won't last long. You see, if we base our love and our grace on how long it will last, then it's really not unconditional and it's not grace. Listen to me. This is important. The moment you understand your real condition in front of Jesus Christ today is the moment you just continue to dole out grace upon grace to those around you. Can I ask you to do something? Drop the light and pick up the brush. Here's what else I know to be true. There's a lot of married people in this room and in Link. And if we're really, really honest with ourselves, we probably have more of a tendency to pick up the light instead of to pick up the brush. And if we're really, really, really honest, we probably need to extend some grace. Can I ask you to do something? Would you bow your heads? Lord, I'm going to ask you to do something in our midst right now, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to begin to convict, to begin to impress, to begin to compel husbands and wives to strip themselves of the pride that they walked in with today and thinking that everything's good. I'm going to ask you, God, Holy Spirit, to examine our hearts. And if there's something inside of our hearts that's holding back or counting or, or not freely giving to our spouse, I pray that right now, God, that you would show that. Lord, here's what I know to be true. Every single marriage needs a good dose of grace and love. That always trusts, that always protects, that always hopes, and above all, covers over a multitude of sins. In a few moments, we're going to hear a song sung that's a beautiful song about love never failing. Husbands, I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I'm going to ask you to be willing to to lean over to your wife and and to grab her by the hand and say, I have some grace and love that I need to offer you. and I want to be a husband who covers over your sin. And I want to lead you in the way that Hosea was willing to lead Gomer. And wives in the room, some of you are holding things against your husbands and you're counting the cost and you're unwilling to to love and to receive him back. I'm going to ask you to strip yourselves of the need to be right and willingly Take him and say, I want this in our marriage too. Lord, 
it's in these kind of moments that we don't care what other people think. It's in these kind of moments where we understand this is what you do for us every day. Now I'm going to ask you to do something as we sing in the main link. If you want to act upon that response to your wife, you gently grab her by the hand and you bring her forward together and you soak in the truths of the song on your knees in the front and you say, I got some work to do, baby, but I'm willing. And I long for us to be the kind of marriage that Christ intended. So I invite you to come and let the Spirit teach you and show you what He wants you to say to your wife as, we, as our worship pastors sing this song. In Jesus' name, amen.